Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380 and streaming live on the Internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today in studio by Joyce Furia, photographer and writer for Soccer New England. Uh, and the Revs coming off a very good week. Uh, last weekend, we talked to Pat Noonan. He was very uh, disappointed with the results the Reds have been getting, especially at home. Uh, this week, certainly, they turned things around. Uh, went on the road in Rochester, a 4-2 victory over the Rhinos in the Open Cup play, makes them advance onto the quarterfinals. And then a win this weekend against the Red Bulls. Uh, Red Bulls were in first place by one point. Now the Reds have overtaken them into first. Andy Dorman scored a great goal in the 38th minute. Uh, it was overall a very good game from the Reds, particularly in the second half where they did a good job shutting down the Red Bulls and really keeping them from any chances. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, any Revolution win is a, a great win, number one. But I was really pleased to see Steve Ralston get his, his record-breaking assist. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very good game. A little bit slow, maybe, uh, at times. Others, other times they were took the fight to the, the Red Bulls the whole you know, second half, at least. And certainly the, the team is got to be happy to get this win after last weekend with the struggling 1-1 tie against QS USA. Uh, they dominated that game after the first 20 minutes but were unable to finish, uh, especially on the road against a team like the Red Bulls who started the season so strong and uh, had been struggling lately but came, came away with a one nothing win over Colorado uh, before this match. Uh, it was great to see the Revs go out there and get a victory against their longtime rivals. Yeah, it was... It- it was a bit embarrassing to see them come up with a 1-1 tie. Uh, they really should have done a lot better. So yesterday's game was a little bit of a nail-biter, at least until Andy scored that goal. I think they learned a lot from uh, their their win over Rochester on Tuesday, too, as far as finishing off the game after uh, after taking that early lead. I saw in Rochester when they were up 2 to nothing. Uh, then they gave up a goal in the 76th minute, and then Rochester tied it in the 86th minute. Fortunately, the Reds were able to get two late goals in stoppage time to tie it up. But I think they certainly learned a lesson as far as how to hold on to a lead after that match. I think they were very frustrated with how that game played out. Certainly happy to get the win, but uh, def- definitely showed better this game as far as defending uh, defending a lead. Yeah, well, you, you went to Rochester. I wasn't able to. So you were able to see the, the comparison of the two. Um, let's just hope that what they did this past Saturday is... You know, what's what's going to happen the rest of the season, especially next week? Next week's game should really be a, a great game. Yeah, next week up against Houston Dynamo, who are you know, unstoppable at the moment, it seems. I believe they're wow, 8-0-1 in their last nine matches. Uh, a scoreless streak. They haven't allowed a goal, I believe, in, uh, what is it, 600, over 600 minutes at this point. About to set the record for that if they keep it up against Toronto tonight. Uh, certainly, that's going to be an excellent match. The Western Conference leaders against the Eastern Conference leaders. Yeah, we we got to stop them. They've they've done well enough. It's their turn to stop, and we got to keep going. Um, we definitely want to get to MLS Cup this year again, and and maybe this time actually win it. And when you talk to like Coach Steve Nickel about uh, the Reds' performances, he cites two games uh, as games that the Reds played bad in. Uh, one being the Houston game originally earlier this season, where they did come away with a win despite playing bad. 
and I believe the other was the Chivas game on the road yeah. as well as the two games where they played bad and uh, they obviously lost the Chivas game but they did come away with the win against Houston back then though Houston was struggling now they've really come up and are playing a lot better and looking more like the MLS Cup champions uh, that they are yeah but I think the way the Rebs look yesterday is a very good sign for the future and certainly the depth they have on their bench now with guys like, uh, now that Twelman's back, you've seen all these players who have been filling in, Wells Thompson, uh, Adam Christman. Uh, they had a lot of guys that came off the bench earlier in the season. Uh, these were inexperienced guys now with all these players gone for the national team. Uh, they have a lot of players off their bench that maybe even last year they really didn't have as much depth as they seemed to this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of Avery John, so I'd like to see him out there a little bit more. Another player I'd like to see out there uh, is Marshall Leonard. And I don't know what his physical uh, condition is now. I know I, I talked to him last year, and he was very discouraged because he was injured for so long. Um, and, and I know in the past he's been able to contribute, so hopefully he will soon. Even just coming off the bench, good for him, good for the team. It was good to see him get a run out in the Rochester game. Uh, a little bit surprising, actually, to see him start that match after not starting a first-team game all season. Uh, he played pretty well in that game. Uh, his service maybe wasn't as good. Uh, it's getting crosses yeah. and going as forward as you'd expect uh, from him in the past. However, uh, he, he was running up and down the field and getting playing some defense. Certainly looked tired after going into the second half. Uh, but it was good to get him that experience. And hopefully that means he'll be ready to come off the bench in the future. Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, uh, he's, he's got a lot to offer the team. But I can understand why he you know would be a little bit rusty. He hasn't had much playing time. I know he's played some with the reserves. Um, and I'm glad to hear he was, because as I said, I didn't see the game, but I'm glad to hear he, he was a starter in the uh, Rochester game. That's great. And Steve Nichols certainly has some tough choices to make uh, as far as who's going to be getting out the majority of the minutes. You got, saw Adam Christman come late off the bench uh, last night. He's been playing very well uh, when he has been starting and when he has been coming off the bench, but now that Pat Noonan's healthy and Twelman's back, it's a tough choice yeah. for the coach. Yeah. Well, what's your impression of Wells Thompson? Oh, Wells Thompson on the right side, I've been very impressed with him. Uh, and some of his starts. Uh, he's been a little bit inconsistent, but uh, surprisingly on the left side, which is where he played the majority of college from talking to him, he hasn't looked nearly as effective. Right. He, he liked cutting inside, and that was, you know, it was big, yeah. you know, a, lot, a lot of fun doing that in college and a lot of joy doing that in college. Uh, he hasn't really looked as effective there in MLS. He's looked a lot better on the right. Yeah. Someone else I think that, that's come along um, and has been doing very well is, um, well, of course, this is our buddy back there from Rhode Island. Uh, Michael Parkhurst, who uh, is one of the smartest soccer players around. It's not just that he's good at what he does, but he thinks, and he thinks ahead. But James Riley, his teammate, uh, has done very well this year and, and part, of ne- part of last year as compared to the year before when I don't think he saw too much action. Well, speaking of Riley... He did not start the game against Rochester. Avery John started that. But he came out and off the bench yeah. uh, as a central midfielder, which was surprising to see. But he actually played yeah. extremely well. He created several chances for the team uh, in the second half. He was probably one of the better performers uh, in that game, actually, as a sub in a central midfielder, which kind of makes you wonder why Parkers has been seeing so much time in that, the central midfield role while uh, they've been suffering from injuries. It makes you kind of question Nichols' decision to do that rather than put Riley there. Riley, is, who's a guy who's certainly uh, more versatile than Parkers from what we've seen. Yeah, I, I don't understand why Nichols has been moving Parkers up. I mean, Parkers were, uh, belongs right there in front of Reese, making those big, important decisions, and having somebody like Riley in front. And besides, they know each other so well, in addition to all this. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see Michael back in what seems to be his proper role. 
you certainly the way Michael plays, it's hard to move him out of there, especially the way <laughs> he distributes from the back. Uh, yeah. In the midfield, he wasn't looking as good as right. far as his distribution. Maybe he didn't have the time he would normally have back there to set up his passes. Right. Um, I didn't see too much of Jay Heaps uh, when I was watching the show last night. Uh, I, I've always liked Jay, and and when I interviewed him, like I think about three or four years ago, several people told me about how he works so hard to get better, and I think he has. Whether he's peaked, I'm a little concerned about that. What was your impression of him last night? Well, he, he didn't, at least offensively, he wasn't too noticeable. He yeah. didn't get forward as much as he usually does. But I think part of that is playing on the road. Maybe he wants to stay back a little bit more. Uh, I didn't see really any times where he uh, really got beaten. And there was one time at the top of the box where Angel dribbled a, you know, around two defenders, and I believe right. he was one of them. Yeah. But I, I think he quietly, uh, obviously wasn't very flashy, didn't show too much. But I think uh, he did what Nickel asked of him in that game. Yeah. Yeah. On uh, Tuesday, however, though, the, the Rhinos had two very strong fours, I believe, in uh, Hamid Diallo, and he was one of the guys that caused heaps a lot of trouble in that game, a very skillful player, a player that I think the refs should actually take a look at as maybe someone yeah. signed. He caused the team, the entire defense had trouble containing him. He beat uh, everyone who's a very skillful player, uh, a small player that maybe you wouldn't expect too much out of, but he caused the refs a lot of problems, scored two goals. He did a lot more than those two goals, too, where he yeah. could have had other chances. Uh, I, I would hope that the Reds were looking at Rochester and looking at these players and uh, maybe thinking of bringing a couple of them in for at least a trial. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and size is so overrated. Yeah, it's nice to be a big guy back there. But if you don't have the moves and you don't have the speed and you don't have the smarts, it doesn't make any difference. Besides, you've got a terrific goalkeeper in back here. And you mentioned uh, Michael Parker is talking about size. Uh, he's a guy that I think doesn't get as much of a chance with the Nationals. I mean, we saw him get two caps, yes, but because right. of that, uh, guys like Onyewu, who uh, recently have been kind of a liability for the U.S. as far as cards and fouls, are getting more t chances than him uh, just because of their size, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. On Onyewu is huge, um, but uh, I'll take Michael any day. I, I was certainly talking to somebody the other day. Um, I would never, especially in the rev system, I, I could never see trading Michael Parkers for a, for a guy like Onyewu. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we are going to take a break here. Before we do, I do want to announce the uh, contest winner uh, for our last week's contest. And the winner for last week's contest was, was Brian Whittle from Pembroke, New Hampshire, who correctly got the answer. The question was, who is second all-time on the Revs and assists? And that was Joe Max Moore. He correctly got that answer. So he did win the Revolution Skyline T-shirt. And I'll be contacting him on how he can, uh, giving him the information on how he can pick that up. Uh, this week, we are going to give away another one of those Revolution soccer balls. Uh, thanks again to Eurosport and Soccer.com. Uh, size 5 soccer ball will also come with a Eurosport cinch bag. And the question for this one, uh, again, you can email your answer to the question to contests at revolutionrecap.com. That's contests at revolutionrecap.com. And the question for this one is going to be, uh, which were the first two players allocated to the Revolution? Uh, this was back in October 17, 1995, when the Reds were first formed. Uh, who were the first two players out? Uh, on the Revolution squad allocated to them by the league. I don't know if you know this, Joyce. I don't give away the answer, but is this a question you would know the answer I'm, to? I'm racking my brain right now because I was a volunteer back then, and it's like I almost know who it is, but I'm not eligible anyway. So. Well, there are two, two well-known players from Revolution history, so uh, if, if you think about it hard enough, you might be able to get these two. Uh, we are going to take a break now. Then we'll be back with uh, Revolution play-by-play -play announcer uh, Brad Feldman.
for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. This is the game. Soccer football. Call it what you want it. The world's language. If you live for the game and it runs in your veins, say ole, ole, oh, ole, ole. If you live for the game and it runs in your veins, say ole, ole, oh, ole, ole. I'm burning down the field, getting hotter than a toaster. I flip fake and juke like Ronaldinho. Me, I'm just a man, but look at you, you're just a nino. When we go, a 4-3-3 three, three should be illegal. Cause we be making plays while you're hogging it like Schmigo. Your ego is just too big to catch the Stilo. Jogo Bonito, you hit the ground like Luis Figo. Oh no, oh no, watch me give and go. Now I'm weaving through the D like I'm the Ronaldo. Ha, if you could only see, I'm Tati with the shot of Thierry Henry. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today in the studio by Joyce Fury of Soccer New England. Uh, writer and photographer for Soccer New England. Now over the phone we have Brad Feldman, the Revolution play-by-play announcer for both the TV and radio broadcasts. Uh, Brad, can you hear me? I can, Sean. How are you? Good. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah, hi. Hi, Joyce. Hi there, Brad. How are you? Everything's good. Uh, last night, obviously, a very big win for the Revs. The 1-0 win over the Red Bulls, putting them in first place. Uh, were you expecting that going into the match? Obviously, the Red Bulls were struggling. The Revs were struggling a little bit themselves. Uh, with the results, obviously they played very good against QS, but uh, would you expect the Revs to go into New York and get a win against their very strong Red Bulls team? Well, if you go back and read my uh, pregame analysis piece, which I write before every league game on the on the Revolution Club website, it actually sort of followed the script that I expected if both Jeff Laurentowitz and Shawry Joseph were, were available to play uh, coming off of, of injuries. Uh, it really was about controlling the midfield going in. Uh, when you look at the Red Bulls uh, squad list and team sheet, right at the beginning of the season, you looked at the, the cast of personnel that, that Bruce Arena assembled. One of the things that, that jumped off the page of me was just the overall you know, sort of average age, I should say, of, of, of the midfield that he, he'd assembled. And that after the first-line guys were all in their 30s, Claudio Arena, Dave Vandenberg, uh, Marcus Schoep, that there was a big drop-off in skill level after that. When you look at the likes of the Seth Stanler or Joe Vide or even the speedy Dane, Dane Richards, that's, they're not players of the same quality as those, those other three that I just mentioned, but, but you know, they're really counting on, on those guys. Now, Dima Kovalenko 
sort of in between as far as that goes, as far as age goes, he's been injured. So if the Reds have their two central midfield stalwarts, Joseph and, and, and Laurentowitz to, to sort of marshal that middle portion of the field. Uh, we've seen it before. We saw it with that really over-the-top performance that Joe Franchino put in last uh, September 20th, I believe it was, when Shari Joseph had injured his hand in the in the you know the bar restaurant incident with the glass. Uh, and Joe played one of the games of his his career uh, alongside Laurentowitz and, and Dorman, and you know they did the same thing to a weaker uh, Red Bulls team last year. And a lot of times those are crazy, wacky open games down there. So if you win the 50-50 balls, you control possession, and you know especially if you can get a relatively early goal, then then you can win it. So you know I wasn't particularly surprised, uh, although I will agree with you, it was a great win, not just because it vaulted them in the first place and took away points that, that their uh, conference rival you know could get in the standings, but it was just one of those character sort of team wins. Uh, you know, you had a great contingent of, of uh, Midnight Riders and Revs fans down there in Section 127, uh, making it sound like a home game for portions of the match. Uh, George, the, the, the gentleman who provides the Revs with their meals every day, he went on his first road trip every day. He's a fixture around uh, Gillette Stadium, and, and the team took him down, and so it felt like he was a good luck talisman. I think the bus ride home, which can be kind of harsh, you know, but riding four hours on the bus uh, after a game to New York, it felt particularly uh, quick on the way back last night. Well, you mentioned uh, that it was being a great win for the team, but one of the things that I really stood out for me was how they recovered. Um, I mean, how they played differently uh, in this match compared to the Rochester match after going ahead by a goal, where they really they really managed to shut down the Rebels before the the Revs scored. The Rebels certainly had their chances. It was more of an open game. But as opposed to the Rochester game where you saw Rochester come back, the Rebels really didn't have many chances to do that. you think that was something that you know, they really worked on hard in practice after seeing what happened down in Rochester? Well, Sean, I hate to put it in these terms, but a Tuesday night in Rochester, as tough a team as the Rhinos are, uh, and as difficult as it is to play against some of the USL1 teams when they're you know, trying to you know, sort of pull off a David over Goliath upset, I'm not saying that the Revolution players don't take it seriously, but it's not surprising that when you go up to nothing in that situation, that maybe the effort level drops a little bit. It shouldn't happen, but with the length of the season, the number of games played in a short stretch of time, uh, you know, you certainly can fault the Reds for doing it. They should be more professional than to to concede the goals that they did, but. Rochester's good enough that if you give them some openings, they'll capitalize, and they did. Against the Red Bulls, you didn't see any of that. I thought that the Reds bossed the match for the first 15 minutes, and there was a spell from sort of minute 15 to, to I don't know, right before the, the Reds' goal where the Red Bulls were a little bit more in command. Uh, but then the rest of the way, I agree with you, Sean, that there wasn't... Uh, there wasn't much of a sniff for New York the rest of the way. And I think it was just, you know, to, uh, just a... A collective mentality that this is a tough venue. This is a very important game in terms of our ultimate goal of winning the conference, getting the playoffs, winning MLS Cup, making a statement, keeping three. It's not just three points earned for the Reds. It's three points that the that the uh, Red Bulls can, can never get back. You know, in the course of their 30-game schedule towards a possible conference championship or towards a playoff position. And so it's it's a it's a different mentality than when you're playing Rochester on a Tuesday night. End of story. Uh, well, speaking of Rochester. Uh, the Revs have decided to move the next game against uh, the Harrisburg City Islanders to Gillette from uh, what was originally announced going to be Lusitano and Field and Ludlow. 
Uh, do you know what went into that decision and why they decided to move that? Yeah, I told them that uh, it was a more convenient drive for me for my house. <laughs> uh, so, of course, they moved it. No, I think I, I think what it comes down to is this. Like, I'm sure it's a disappointment for some people in the western part of uh, the state and New England to not be closer to the game. Uh, it certainly is a, a great opportunity every time the Reds play out in Western Mass to reach out to a different portion of the market and their fan base. Uh, I think the decision was based solely on the idea <clears throat> that well, I won't say solely. Uh, two factors. One, that they, the club wants to show the, the fans and set the tone that they're serious about winning this competition, which has been called into question in the past, which I think is a little bit, I don't quite, I think it's, it's harsh to, to look at it in that light. I think you have to always look at the Open Cup in terms of the bigger picture. Um, and the closer you get to the final, the, the, you know, the, the, the more serious every team tends to take, to take the knockout. Uh, cup competitions. Um, I think the other part of it, Sean and Joyce, I think is that it's less likely because of the way things shake out that they would have another uh, home game at Gillette, you know, in the semifinals or the finals. So that being the case, this was a one that we could put at Gillette Stadium. And so I think that the powers that be, um, you know, Sunil Galati, uh, Brian Bolello, Steve Nichol, Mike Burns thought it was the, the right decision. And going back to the game on Saturday night, uh, Jeff Laruntowitz playing with uh, the the protective eyeglasses on, Char Joseph coming in off an injury. Uh, it was really the first time, though, that the team had actually had um, really their first-choice lineup available. Everyone from the team that would you know, be in consideration for a starting spot was available for that game. Uh, the Red Bulls were missing a couple players. You did mention that they were missing Dima Kovalenko and Carlos Mendez and also out the door with the uh, national team. Uh, but do you think that that was a good indication who we saw last night because of uh, everyone being available, who really is the first-choice lineup in Nichols' mind? At this juncture, at this stage of the game, um, you know, I, I think a couple of spots are somewhat interchangeable. Certainly we've seen a preference for James Riley over Avery John, although I don't think that they think that there's much of a drop-off, if any. I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses, and that Avery John could just as easily play in that left-back position as, as James Riley. I also think that you know we've seen that they're not afraid to put Wells Thompson as a starter over Kano Smith. Kano didn't <clears throat> have one of his... Better games, but he didn't have one of his worst games. You know, was, I, I don't know if you heard the radio broadcast. I call him because or Connor Smith the Great and Terrible. When he does good things, they're, they're, he does things that nobody else can do, really. Um, and then he does things that are, can be infuriating for Steve Nichol and his staff. But I think the left side of the field is, is where things are, you know, some openings and some question marks. Other than that, I would say the other nine slots in the field are fairly solidified. You know, complete, you know, you could also say that Chrisman for Noonan is a possibility, too, because of that, you know, Chrisman really, uh, over delivering on the expectations this year, but yeah, I'd say that, that it, it, that's the first choice lineup uh, to, to a certain extent. I don't think New York has a huge drop off without you know Carlos Mendez in there. Certainly, Ronald Waters is a good goalkeeper. You didn't mention him. Dima Kovalenko has been out you know for a while now, so I don't even think of him as necessarily first choice for the Red Bulls. Uh, no question, Altador is uh, is a guy who plays a, even if he's not scoring, provides a foil for uh, Juan Pablo on hell, and I think creates a little more space for Juan Pablo up front. Uh, you saw how uh, frustrated he was. So I don't think it was, a, I thought it was a little unfair of the newspaper reports to sort of pose it as, well, the Reds had their first-choice team and the Red Bulls were playing a, second, a bunch of second stringers. It's a long season. The Reds had to deal with a lot of injuries, and they never asked for, you know, 
for a let off when when they had to go out there without their you know top top eleven guys. Going back to uh, last weekend's game and the game bef- before that against Chivas, I know the Reds were disappointed, only coming away with those two games with with one point. Uh, but looking at again, you know, at Chivas's record at home, they're six zero and one. That's not an easy place to play, and certainly. Um, there was a recent article out, I believe, by a former NASL player talking about Beckham having trouble, you know, was going to have trouble with all the travel. Uh, do you think that's a big factor in the league and maybe why it's easier for the Revs to go down and get a win uh, against the Red Bulls, who seem to be a stronger team than Chivas, uh, than tr- travel across country and play a team like Chivas? Well, I think there's something to that. Yeah, there's no question because I do these trips too, and I could tell you even as you know somebody who doesn't have to run for 90 minutes uh, that you know it takes a lot out of you to you know to to fly cross country, and uh, you know that can be the you know when these games hang on a razor's edge sometimes you know one goal either way you know it was a two a two nothing loss to Chivas, but you know if the first goal doesn't you know if Adam Christian buries his chance and I think it was the 53rd minute. And then Chivas has to come out of their defensive posture, and I should you know say that for the record, Chivas plays like a road team when they're at home. For all these, this notion of like their sort of Latino flair or having Precky as their head coach, who was a, for, a creative player in his day, they're a very conservative team. Um, you know, yeah, I think the travel makes a difference. I think that that's why you know Steve Nichol finally gave in, and you know he we used to go out with the team a day before when it was on the West Coast, and I think he seen the light because the players went to him and said, it really helps us doing it the way most teams do and getting there on Thursday for a Saturday game, having the extra day to, to adjust to the time and get the trip out of your legs. But that said, listen, if Dorman mishits that ball, you know, off of the, 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 the through pass from... From uh, Shari Joseph last night, and that goes wide or off the crossbar, then it's a different game. You know what I mean? If Adam Crispin buries it in the 53rd minute, and it's one nothing Revs, and, the, and Chivas USA have to come out, it's a different game. Does the travel factor into those moments of truth? Absolutely, but it's hard to say definitively one way or the other. You know, each game, sometimes these teams are so evenly matched in this league that it comes down to that one blink of an eye moment. And coming up on Sunday, huge game against the Houston Dynamo, the Western Conference leaders, who have really been unstoppable lately. They have a game against Toronto tonight. Uh, should they keep them scoreless, they'll be breaking the record for the, the longest shutout streak by a team. Uh, they started off the season poorly. They were struggling. Uh, the Revs got an away win against them when the Revs weren't playing too well in that game. And uh, that was one of the games that Nichols said that the Revs were, I mentioned earlier, were playing poorly in, but they managed to get a win. Uh, what do you see from this game coming out of the Dynamo? Obviously, they do have a game tonight, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes at 8.30. But what do you see from this game between the Eastern and Western Conference leaders? First of all, thank you for reminding me. I would have forgotten to tune in. I was just watching the Brazil-Argentina game and thought I'd watched all <laughs> the soccer I could for the weekend. But, yeah, I guess I need to watch the Houston match, too. Uh, Houston's playing great. There's no question about it. Um, that is a... Difficult-looking game coming up a week a week from today uh, at Gillette Stadium. Again, you know, rematch of the final. Uh, I agree with you. The Reds didn't play well uh, back in May when they got the one-zero win, but neither uh, did did Houston that night. I think that you know, for me, a big part of it is that Dwayne De Rosario, who was their you know creative catalyst, uh, either just off the forwards or you know. You know, as a forward, wherever he's, he's sort of sitting and roaming, uh, he is the one who drives their their attacking play. And he was not 100 percent when we saw him with uh, with Houston a couple of months ago. Since he's come gotten back to his best, you can see just how much more dynamic they are in the attack. 
Uh, you know, he also just resigned a contract, and he's in a good frame of mind. I think Houston were really worn down from their exertions uh, in uh, the CONCACAF Champions Cup. They went further than the Revs did the previous year, and you know, it's such a short off season when you go all the way through the final into late November, and then you got guys coming back into into camp in January to get fit for the uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup. You also have U.S. national team guys who have been slogging through the uh, the January camp, which is five, six weeks. And I think they just were, I think they sort of hit their postseason letdown at the beginning of this season. Uh, I think uh, Durasario was, was a burnout case and had some injuries and that he was playing hurt. And, uh, you know, they've gotten Joseph and Gwenya in a trade, which is a great move for them. Um, you know, they play an up-tempo style. But I'll also say it, it's never a good game when you play down there because that field, Robertson Stadium's field, is so choppy that it kind of suits <clears throat> kind of the way Spartan Stadium used to suit the uh, the earthquakes with their high-pressure tactics because it was so enclosed and such a small surface. The bumpy surface is sort of, you know, keeps teams that like to roll the ball and pass it the way the Reds do, keeps them from playing a particularly fluid game. So, you know, I'm not saying that Houston can't come out and play on a better field, but they certainly take advantage of the conditions they have at home. Well, you mentioned Dwayne Dero-Sara being the catalyst of their offense. Uh, him and Brian Ching benched uh, for their last game against uh, Chicago Fire in Chicago. The team still comes out with a 4-0 win. It seems like there's nothing that can be done to stop them uh, the way they're going now. They're, they're... Yeah, they're probably just resting them. I don't know the psychology of John McNeer. Were they, were they benched? I, I didn't read Well, yeah, I, I believe they're just resting them, too, because yeah, I believe there's two players going to the All-Star game. But... The, the, the Houston games I've seen were the, the New York and the, and the D.C. games, uh, one nothing over D.C., which is fairly even, and then the 4 nothing win where they absolutely battered the Red Bulls. And... Uh, you know, for me, the Durasar, whether he scores or not, he just has, he keeps people honest. I think, yeah, Ricardo Clark has a great engine. You know, we've done some statistical comparisons, and I would still say that, you know, Shari Joseph, in terms of his presence, his ability to win balls, his pass completion rate, uh, you know, is a better central defensive midfielder than, than Ricardo Clark. The one thing that Ricardo has, and you saw it with his, you know, real breakout performance with the U.S. national team this summer in the Gold Cup, is he's got a fantastic engine and he covers a lot of ground. Uh, and never stops working. So they, they, that's a really good team, balanced team. Um, and they've got a second wave of, of good players behind those stars that we've already mentioned. You know, Stuart Holden's come to the fore. I remember when they took apart the Reds Reserves last summer, and the Reds Reserves last summer were a lot weaker than they are now. The Reds have more depth, too. But I remember saying to Don Kinnear, you know, he's got you know, second-line players like Stuart Holden, Patrick Ianni, uh, uh, Dombrowski, you know, uh, uh, people like that who are really, um, not, not Dombrowski, yeah, Wondolowski, guys that you never even heard of who don't get on the field, who I think are, are pretty darn good. So I think that they've, you know, assembled a, a real squad. And it's really a real continuation uh, from where they started in, in San Jose at the beginning of the decade. There, there's been a consistency uh, to the way the style of play, to the personnel, not unlike the way uh, Steve Nichols kept things together here in New England. Well, can change pace a little bit, but the big news this week was uh, David Beckham landing yeah. in Los Angeles, the big introduction ceremony there. Uh, reportedly, again? Was that a Spanish name? I'm sorry. Who's <laughs> <laughs> reportedly, the 700 reporters there to, to see David Beckham come out uh, and 5,000 fans at the stadium just for the introduction ceremony. Uh, what do you think his lasting impacts on the league? We've already seen his, his initial impact with the Revs attendance going up, Toronto with all the uh, season ticket sales, uh, Galaxy a little bit of boosted in tennis. They're already doing near sellouts uh, for previous years. But what do you see as his lasting impact? 
Uh, you know, I, everybody's getting this question this week. I, you know, I think it remains to be seen whether he is the, you know, the guy who brings lasting I don't know, credibility, viability to to the league. You know, I'm on the side of those people who who say that. Well, first of all, MLS doesn't need a savior or saving. And so yeah. I don't think that that's what is going to be his impact. You know, you may, his impact may be that people learn to appreciate, you know, uh, a teasing cross from the right wing more than they do because, you know, a lot of what he does best are subtleties that American non-soccer fans don't yet appreciate. And hopefully if he makes the highlights, you know, for more than just bending a few free kicks around the wall into the top corner, people will start to look a little bit more at the at the smaller components of the game and appreciate his skill. Um, you know, it's great to have the entertainment press and the general uh, media, not just from the, around the world, but in this country, paying attention to MLS. Um, but it's hard to say. You know, obviously it's a great, it's a great publicity hit right now. This time next year, you know, are rock radio DJs without prompting going to be talking about, hey, David Beckham is coming back to Gillette Stadium? I hope so. You know, what I hope is that this, the sponsorship money and the TV uh, has a knock-on effect, as they say in England, a, you know, a domino effect, and so it brings in sponsorship deals for other teams and allows, you know, the, the operator investors around the league to open up the purse strings and bring in more quality players, not necessarily name players, but players who, who, who continue to boost the, the, the caliber of play on the field. Because that, Sean, is really what it comes down to. That's what's going to make it stick. You know, we're getting past the point where the mutton heads are saying this is a sissy sport or it's a foreign sport. You know, I think people are taking notice that, you know, hockey is waning and that TV ratings for soccer outstrips it. Well, we all, you know, I was on the on BBC radio the other day, and, I, you know, I was trying to sort of, you know, put the the league standard of play in context and so forth. They weren't as harsh as you might imagine, but in the end, it's not about convincing fans in England or even fans in Mexico or Argentina that MLS is legit. We have to convince the casual consumer of sports and entertainment that this is a worthwhile thing and at the same time can, you know, convince the young players coming up that it is worthwhile to go to the stadium and watch your MLS team and to turn on the TV and watch your MLS team as it is to watch the Premiership. Nobody, not even Alexi Wallace, really thinks that the, you know, the revolution and the, and the standard of play in MLS is at the very, very top. It's closer than people want to believe it is. It's certainly, you know, as good as the top leagues in all but the very best countries, you know, leagues in the world. And so if you can capture the imagination of sports fans, create atmosphere in these new stadiums, and, and, you know, and if David Beckham coming here, you know, proves to be similar to the impact that Pele had, the problem with Pele was that the league wasn't organized. There was no plan, and, you know, teams overspent, and NASL is sort of all over the place. It's a different world, but, you know, I mean, in terms of the lens and the, the, the spotlight that it puts on the sport, you got to take advantage in terms of, you know, just making, continuing to build on, on what's already here. And... And one guy's not going to do that, but, you know, take advantage of the buzz that, that, he, that he's given the league because, you know, it, it, a lot of people say it's already paid for itself in terms of sponsorship and promotion and advertising. 
the, the AEG and MLS have already recouped their investment. Okay, so now let's move forward and, and take, you know, take that, that the resources that are now coming in that's surplus and reinvesting it. And that's what I'm hoping happens. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. We'll let you go in a second here. But before you do, could you uh, tell us a little about what you do for RevolutionSoccer.net? We know about uh, the In the Net and uh, the Rev TV, TV now, but could you tell us about uh, what exactly you do with that and uh, future plans for that? Well, I think you've seen in the last uh, 16 months that the Revolution website, RevolutionSoccer.net, has really uh, had an uptick in terms of the content, the presentation, and, and the sort of overall, you know, sort of commitment to making the website, the website, you know, the, the portal for, for people who want information on the team. There's a lot of good stuff out there, like your your radio show, I think that, you know, the, the, the message boards, like uh, particularly Big Soccer, obviously, you know, they, they serve an important function uh, for the fans and the team. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, what the team offers is dedicated, unique content that, you know, is, is the official content. We have, you know, the, the, the rights to stream highlights and, and, you know, we have a, a, a radio studio where I have access to players and coaches right after uh, practice. They, they come in and do live interviews for In the Net on Tuesday at 1. And the, now we've got a terrific webmaster, a fellow named uh, Jason Dalrymple, who's really adept at, uh, you know, sort of, sort of getting the leading-edge technology, you know, uh, integrating it into our website and making it accessible to fans. So we have podcasts now where, you know, you can download stuff, RSS feeds, so that you can just, you know, have it in your toolbar and in your web browser without having to go searching for the Revs content. And, uh, you know, it's linked to the to league website and other teams' websites, but we're one of the two out of 13 teams that, that manage our own website and don't go through the MLSnet.com uh, just because it gives us more control over, over what we do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hosting a monthly wrap-up show with highlights and so forth. That's a, you know, sort of a good 10-minute way to keep up with what happened with, with the team. But I have a different role. Last time you spoke to me last fall, I was still director of communications and soccer broadcasting. Now Liz Summers has taken over the media relations, and she's doing a great job as director of public relations for, for the team. Slightly different role, but she's now the point person for all the communications and media relations, and more of a PR function than I ever served. Uh, even though sometimes people use that, that title for me. I was a spokesman, but I wasn't a public relations per se. My title now is broadcasting executive, which is somewhat nebulous. I've given up the director title. I've given up my my uh, office up on the administrative level, but I have a much more flexible schedule. And I, what I really am is sort of the uh, administrator, the coordinating producer for all the, in addition to the to the web content, the television, I make sure that the, the, the show gets on the air as well as being the announcer. I, you know, am involved with, the, you know, the, you know, make sure the crews show up, the TV trucks, the transmission, whether it be satellite or fiber optic. And, uh, and it's really, you know, allowed me to do what I originally came there to do. We have craft sports productions and they, you know, sort of, it, it all happens under the umbrella of KSP, which is where my office is now. And, uh, you know, a terrific production company on the radio side. We have the radio studio and Gary Grodecki continues to be the executive producer of the radio broadcasts that go out over the WEI radio network and WRKO. So I'm really sort of like the fulcrum of all that. I'm the sort of go-between for the marketing department, the Revs front office, Crash Sports Productions, and the radio studio and, and in-game entertainment. And uh, it, it's really what I came to the team to do to begin with. And now that we have a qualified person like Liz Summers to do the media relations, I was able to sort of segue into what I want to do. And so it's, it's been a, a great season and, and a great year for me so far. Uh, and I appreciate having the opportunity to do it. The, uh, Brian Bellello, the team COO, and the crafts have been great. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, and keep up all the great work on the site. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, guys.
weekend, that was uh, Revolution play-by-play announcer and uh, broadcast executive Brad Feldman. We're going to take another quick break here, and then we'll be back with Josh Hackler from usopencup.com. <laughs> For soccer in New England, it's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. Float like a butterfly, hit the upper beat. Plus I'm speedy on the wing like Demarcus Beasley. I'm a free fall fighter, take you insider. The mind of a World Cup winning hoorada. I play FIFA 06 with scissor kicks. And I keep talking until the buttons stick. So when I'm not making, leave you with your back down. Know that I'm like Roy Keane, putting a smack down. I don't know what you've been told. World Cup fever's about to take hold, so act like you know. When that whistle blow, Furious and Fitz G's got game like that to O. If you live for the game and it runs in your veins, say ole, ole, oh, ole, ole. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined in studio by Joyce Fury of Sark New England, writer and photographer. Uh, we were trying to get in touch with Josh Hackler, having a little trouble getting in touch with him, but uh, we do have some clips from uh, the Revs. Uh, 4-2 victory over the Rochester Raging Rhinos. The first one being from Steve Ralston, a uh, two-goal scorer in that match. And we can play his uh, comments on that match now. Thankfully, we didn't go to overtime because we were all pretty damn tired. Yeah. After a hot 3-2, you did a great job coming off the game. Uh, why wasn't the team able to do that earlier? Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, you're down. You know there's only a few minutes left. I mean, when there's 20 minutes left, it's a little harder to kill a game than it is, you know, two minutes left. You know, you just take it to the corner. You can't do that really with 20 minutes left every time. Um, but, yeah, we did, we did a much better job once we got 3-2. We just started passing the ball and making the chase, waiting. And, you know, we, we got, the, got the fourth by just by being smart. And, and, and passing and moving, you know, we weren't doing anything crazy. We weren't running with the ball. It was just simple, simple things. Good passing. Were you surprised at all by how much offensive pressure Rochester was on? I watched them play last week. I saw them play against Carolina, and I, I knew what they were capable of doing. They fought in that game too. They got the game winner in the 90th minute, so I knew we were going to be in battle. They weren't going to give it up, and uh, you know, give them credit that you know they kept fighting, got back into their game. Um, you know, for these Open Cup games, a lot, a lot of players, I mean, how tough are they? I mean, it doesn't seem you're, you're playing with lower division team and et cetera, but, I mean, just how tough is it? It's, it's always difficult. I mean, because I mean, it's obviously their biggest game of the season, um, and, they, and they have good players. I mean, you got to give them credit. They have some very good players, and it's never easy playing on the road. Um, it was felt like 120 degrees out there. It was hot. Everybody was tired. The game just opened up. It was just, I mean, just 
wide open. Got you know a lot of, lot of time, a lot of space. And uh, you know, it's, like I said, it was 2-0. We got we got to do a better job. They should have never gotten to 2-2. But give them credit. Like I said, I mean they, they could fight. Steve, their coach Callaway said that he thought the difference makers in certain positions like you and Taylor. They don't have guys like you in the USL. That's why you guys are where you are. He thought that was the whole key. Can you talk about at least the class of player in the USL versus the class of player in the MLS? I don't know. I mean, I, every time I play against these, against these guys, it's always better. they got a lot of good players. I don't get a chance to see them play that often. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the difference tonight really was uh, set pieces. I mean, we got three of our goals are from set pieces, I believe. So um, I thought we did a good job on, on, on those. Um, I mean, it's a good team. I mean, it's never easy coming here. We've, I feel like we have to, played this team every year in the Open Cup, it seems like. I like, like to try to play somebody else sometime. Um, but it's 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 good. Great, great, great stadium, great atmosphere, a lot of fun to come and play. Again, that was a revolution midfielder, Steve Rawson, who we mentioned earlier, got his record 115th career assist, putting him atop the all-time assist chart in MLS. Uh, head of Carlos Valderrama, his former teammate. Uh, certainly, Rawson's very humble about that record. Uh, speaks about it's more based on his longevity and how long he's been able to play in the league, where uh, talks about Carlos Valderrama getting it maybe five years less time. Uh, but Ralston did have those two goals against the Rhinos, two key goals. Also had an assist on Twelman's game winner. Uh, and speaking of Twelman, he had two goals last, um, two goals on Tuesday. Um, we have his comments now on his thoughts on that game against Rochester in the Open Cup match. Obviously, uh, we didn't help ourselves out, and uh, you know, we just fortunately, you know, kept going and got a chance and we scored. We just were, we weren't tight. You know, as a team, and it started with Pat and I up front. We just were tight defensively, and uh, you know, Steve knows where where to put the ball. And obviously, it was just uh, I just tried to put it on goal. Unfortunately, when we got the second goal, it was uh, you know we obviously needed to stay in and keep things going. And uh, you know, fortunately, we put one away and got a victory. Again, that was a revolution for Taylor Twelman, who made his first start. Uh, since coming back from national team duty against the Rhinos and scored two great goals in that match. He could have had a couple more of the chances he had, actually. Uh, but also in that match, kind of an unheralded hero was Matt Reese, who made several key saves. Uh, Rochester mentioned they could have got ahead earlier, but Reese was uh, big and made several key saves. We do have uh, Reese's comments on what he thought of the match. When it went 2-2 with extra time, it was uh, not looking too good for us, but Ralston shows the... Uh, the player that he is and has his head up and plays a perfect ball to Taylor and he dunks it so um, you know that definitely uh, helped us out a ton uh, you know I think it was the, the conditions out there made it very tough for uh, for both teams that next uh, half hour would have been um, pretty pretty un, uneventful I think you know if I can see a play and, and, and get it all the way up the field as quick as possible that's what I'm trying to do but on the, on the same token I got to make sure that I'm not just blasting the ball up to nobody so it was a situation where we got tired and uh, you know we, we weren't taking care of the ball we were, were giving it away needlessly and uh they, they put in a bunch of attacking players so uh you know we, we definitely didn't definitely didn't do uh, enough to see the game through and, and we, we gave them chances to uh to come down our throat again that was revolution goalkeeper matt reese on the forge two victory over rochester uh he had a shutout last night against the red bulls it was his sixth shutout of the season uh putting him tied for first in that category with pat onsta as we as we already mentioned of the houston dynamo who have been playing so well lately uh we do have one final 
uh, audio cut here from Steve Nickel and his thoughts on the game. He was a little disappointed that they gave up their two-goal lead, but I'm uh, very happy to see them come back and fight back and not have to go to extra time and uh, score those key two goals in stoppage time. I feel like you should have finished the game off well before you did. Yeah, we do. We certainly had chances to put a ball in it, and we didn't. And then we just, we were unprofessional, and we almost paid for it. But this law shows you that they've got plenty of heart and plenty of you-know-whats, and uh, that pulled us through. I can assure you we didn't want extra time. <laughs> well, when it goes 2-2 with five minutes to go, we told them before the game, we told them in the middle of the game that, you know, this team never lies down. And that's what happened. We let them back in. I mean, you got to give them credit for... for for sticking at it, you know the two guys up front are lively. We said part of the problem was was our own uh, our own our own play, and then once we let them back in it, then it's hard to get out of that. You know we, we could have had another goal before they, they got the, they got their first one, which really would have killed the game. But we need to we need to do a far better job defensively uh, when we're ahead, as far as communicating and, and pulling each other around and getting each other in better spots because we were in, we were in bad spots. Again, that was Revolution head coach Steve Nickel and his thoughts on the 4-2 victory over the Rhinos on Tuesday. I would like to mention our contest again. That's courtesy of Eurosportandsoccer.com. We have a great Revolution soccer ball size 5 uh, to give away. If you can get, give the correct answer uh, to this trivia question, who was the first two players? Who were the first two players allocated to the Revolution uh, back on October 17, 1995? Uh, two key players, uh, both now in management roles throughout the league. Uh, these two players uh, played a key role in the Revs' first couple of seasons, also played on the national team. Uh, again, you can email your answer to contest at revolutionrecap.com. That's contest at revolutionrecap.com. Uh, answers are due on my Wednesday by midnight to give people a chance, uh, if they can catch the show live, to catch it on the archive. And again, the winner will be announced next week. Uh, on the show next week, we're actually going to be giving away uh, a Revolution replica jersey. These jerseys are worth uh, $65. Again, thanks to Eurosportandsoccer.com. That, that show will be taking place at 7 o'clock, just an hour after the Revolution game comes to an end. Uh, so tune in next week. Uh, but we do have a little bit more left of this show coming up. Uh, Houston Dynamo, we mentioned their next next ga- big game. Uh, they're playing a game at 8.30 tonight against Toronto FC. Uh, Toronto, a team that's kind of turned things around. Uh, obviously, they didn't struggle. They didn't. They had a came struggled a lot more than the Dynamo did to start the season, and they haven't gotten as hot. But uh, this should be a good game for the Dynamo against Toronto. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how well Toronto does. Um, I. I'd like to be optimistic for them. However, <laughs> I think it's highly unlikely that they'll they'll um, have a win tonight. Nonetheless, they have they have come quite a way since the beginning. Um, one thing I'd like to get back to is Brad was talking about David Beckham coming in, and because I've been around a long time, I've seen a lot of these players. The one that comes to mind is Mateus. Uh, the league used to have a reputation of this is where. European and South American players whose careers are pretty much over come to make a few bucks and then retire. And I don't think any of them made any impact at all. Um, or if they did, it was minimal. I hope Beckham does, uh, certainly. But um, for selfish reasons, I'd love to see the Rebs go after somebody interesting. Uh, I understand uh, Zidane is not doing too much these days. I wonder if they've thought about going out I, I know he'd be way too expensive but uh, I wonder if they're thinking in, in those terms have you heard anything 
Well, we've certainly heard Lawless talk about being interested in Zidane. That didn't work out. I, I don't think Zidane is going to be coming out of retirement. I haven't heard I doubt too it, much. Yeah. But we've seen Chicago express interest. Uh, nothing happened there. Uh, I'd imagine if Los Angeles were unable to get the cash that he would want to come back, uh, that the Reds would not be coming up with that. Uh, but the other player that Los Angeles mentioned again is Ronaldo, another guy I'd like to see come. I'm not sure he'd be the type of player that uh, would necessarily be a great fit for MLS. Ronaldo? No, I I don't think so. I don't think so. I certainly don't think he'd be a great uh, fit for the for uh, the Revs, and especially. And again, about the Beckham signing, you mentioned uh, the older players who have come to the league and haven't done so well, like Mateus. Uh, Beckham is, I think, a little bit of a different case because he's a guy that uh, looked like he was done in Europe. It looked like his spot was you know, was going to be on the bench the rest of the season. Looked like he was done. Right. He worked his way back. There were teams, certainly Madrid wanted to keep him by the end of the season. And, and, and he's look into at, some of his best yeah. form right now. Yeah, look what he did in, in, in Madrid. As you say, it seemed like he was, well, that was it. Um, he also has celebrity in a way that, that most other players don't. If it brings people in for whatever reason, um, and they get a good look at some good soccer, um, then I guess he's worth the money as long as we're not paying it. <laughs> and uh, the other guy there, Juan Pablo Angel, the Red Bulls, oh, yeah. big signing. We've seen how good he did, at least to start. Uh, the past four games has been shut out, but he still has, I believe, ten goals in nine games. Yeah, uh, so, he's been really ten goals in ten games. So he's been a really great <laughs> player. So if Beckham has the impact he does uh, with the Galaxy, certainly it'll be a big you know, big boost for the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, we are going to wrap things up here, but before I do, I'd like to give Joyce an opportunity to talk about how she got involved in Soccer New England and uh, what you do for Soccer New England. Well, I, I got involved in soccer many years ago. I won't go into that ancient history. But I um, I was a freelance writer for a while, and in 1999, uh, Michael Jones, who's the publisher, um, asked me to join the staff. I, I write quite a bit, a little bit less than I used to. Uh, one of the things I've really always enjoyed is, rather than game reports, profiles of players. And I've profiled Dempsey and Reese and Ralston, and it's been fascinating talking to them. I've really enjoyed that. But the most fun I have is getting down on the soccer field during a game. I just wander around with my Nikon and take as many pictures as I can and hopefully get something really good. Well, again, the, thanks a lot for joining us, Joyce. The, oh, my pleasure. The upcoming game for the Revolution is on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Uh, again, it should be an excellent game. Houston uh, really tearing up the league lately, and nobody's been able to stop them. Hopefully the Revs will be the ones to do it. I certainly hope so. And uh, once again, the Revs do have one Open Cup game coming up in the quarterfinal. That will be on August 8th at Gillette Stadium. Uh, the entire stadium, general admission, $10. That should be a great opportunity for fans to get there, you know, get a front row seat in the center where maybe they could never afford it in the past. Yeah, yeah, I hope we have a big crowd for that. I really do. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We will be back next week right here on uh, WNRI 1380, uh, right here at 7 o'clock on Sunday night. Thanks.
years of service to the Blackstone Valley, this is 1380 WNRI Woonsocket.